Hello, everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around, drinking, and talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are Chaz and Karen Brinchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 59, The Silver Screen Writing. <laughs> we welcome today our very first writer of scripts for TV and film, Christy Marks. Welcome, Christy. Yay. Hi, Christine. Hello. Thank you. Now, you and you and Karen go way back, right? Yeah, we go back to the Genie days. Genie was a, a bulletin board system, and probably a lot of people don't even know what that was. But it was like the precursor of um, email and um, like you know, any, kind, any kind of general web forum. It was the precursor of that. You know, text only. Is that like IRC? So, yeah, Pardon? Is this before or after IRC? IRC. I don't know. I never IRC. Used, you never used yeah. IRC? Okay. I never used it either. But that was the thing about Jeannie. George R. R. Martin was on there, and he would ask the people who had come to his forum questions about what they liked in long fantasy novels and things <laughs> like that. You know, it, was, it was that kind of a, a place where that's where I met so many writers like Christy. And um, it, it was, you know, it was, it was the place to hang out. And then that moved, you know, that has moved over the years, but that's where I met Christy. And we went to a game developers conference with, um, I met her there. Um, that's the other thing. We'll have her back for a game developer uh, talk too. We've, we, as I was saying, we've had a few game developing, love to get all the heads together, but screenwriting, how did you get into screenwriting? There's, I know so many people that are like, Oh, I want to write for the TV or I want to write a movie screen. How does that happen? Yeah, I, I, just for myself, I tend to think of screenwriters as people who write for movies, which I don't really do. I have like one um, actual film credit, but basically everything I've done has been television and a lot of it's been animation. So I tend to think of myself as a, as a script writer, you know, I, uh, and how, how picky we need to be about that or teleplay writer. Even um, teleplay is usually the word I hear applied to television scripts, but although I think, I think the terms are a bit fluid, but that's I, I how I tend to think of them. Tell us about the, because the different lingo is actually important because we see things like, oh, it's a story treatment. Is that where they say, write something about this? Yeah, yeah I mean, all those probably words. the best way to, probably the best way to get a handle on um, some of that terminology would be to get hold of the Writers Guild MBA, which is the minimum basic agreement, where it breaks out, you know, all of those guidelines for what what is a treatment and what when do you get a story by credit versus a written by credit, et cetera, and so forth. And um, even things like when you see a a bunch of group credits at the front of a movie or the front of a show, the difference between the word A N D between <laughs> people's names is different than an ampersand between people's names. So you, you can tell who wrote as a team by whether they have an ampersand and who else was maybe just accreted onto the credits because they're there with an and. I mean, there's all kinds of like little details like this that people are generally not aware of. But a treatment is just basically an outline. And, you know, story could be an outline, could be a treatment, but you get different credits according to what you do. And, and a lot of that terminology you can get through the Writers Guild. And, and so that's probably a, a useful place to look for it. We'll definitely link it. How did you, so you started in games. How did you first 
find your way into writing your first, and I'm not even sure what the right word is. We, were you asked to write an episode of something, or did you say, hey, Babylon 5, you've written a Babylon 5 episode. That is the favorite sci-fi series of so many friends. How did that happen? Yeah, it happened through personal connection. And, and frankly, networking and making personal connections is probably the number one most important thing anyone can do. That's how a lot of things happen. And my, my trajectory actually began with comics. I first started writing for comics because I grew up just fanatically obsessed with comic books. And which, I have all my whole life. Which collected ones? <laughs> <laughs> everything, just everything. What, you know, I would, just, I would buy everything. It didn't matter. And, but we can get into comics, too, if you want. But that's like a whole other huge topic. But I went from writing for comics to writing for animation because of, number one, writing for comics, because I wrote a Fantastic Four story. And then when there was a Fantastic Four animation series, that credit helped me get a meeting. But I only knew about it because of a friend. So again, the networking, getting to know people, hearing about things from the inside can make a huge difference. Now, interestingly, the reason I got Babylon 5 is because I had gotten to know Joe Straczynski through a bulletin board system. And it was a private bulleted board system just for writers that it, it was begun by, um, God, I'm thinking it might have been Steve Gerber, because Steve Gerber is the reason that I ended up having to write on a computer. Because when I started mm -hmm. writing for G.I. Joe, Steve required everybody to write on a computer. So I had to literally run out, buy a computer, learn how to use a computer, learn how to write on a computer. So, so you started longhand then. <laughs> Instead of, instead of a typewriter. Right. And, um, you know, so, so there was a whole group of us, especially in animation, because largely of Steve Gerber, who were connected via computer and were in early, early, early on into bulletin board systems and having to transmit scripts by modem. And, you know, we're like way ahead of the, of the time in that respect. And so consequently, through this private writer's bulletin board system, which is kind of like a, you know, a message system, um, I got to know Joe Straczynski. And even though we hadn't actually worked on anything together, just through the, the basis of I had credits behind me, I had done things, um, when it was time to bring writers on for Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future, he hired me for that. And so I wrote two of those episodes for him, and, and we had you know, continued a friendship so when Babylon 5 rolled around, I was one of the lucky few that got a shot at writing episodes because it was really only in the first season, pretty much only in the first season, that anybody else got to write any episodes. And then after that, Joe wrote everything. <laughs> See, I was wondering about that, I, whether it's that way or the other way, because it always, it has seemed in perception like, oh, yeah, he wrote, he wrote all of them and then gave up, or maybe that's the Joss Whedon effect, and then other people wrote it versus... So you say it's kind of the other way at first, so there's a committee that writes the first season, and then Joe settled into it? Well, I mean, I think if it had been up to Joe, he probably would have written all of them from the start. <laughs> yeah. I just think it... Clearly there's he, love there. We can all feel the love. <laughs> he, he was also producing and doing everything else, so you know, he, was, he was insanely busy. But, I mean, it, you know, this Babylon 5 was something that was really, really Joe's baby. I mean, it was his project. It was his dream. It was, it was really came from him. And um, 
I was handed a, a brief one paragraph description of the episode he wanted me to write, you know, with, with a couple of notes. And so I worked off of, he had it all kind of mapped out and I, I worked off of that. But it, you know, it was very much his baby. It really was. There were only 11 writers for um, Babylon 5. And I have met seven of them, and I'm friends with two of them. So um, I feel quite the geek. But, um, yeah, a select, a select few. And, and sadly, tragically, we lost Dorothy Fontana. And, oh, yeah. Who was wonderful, delightful. And when I did have the pleasure of working with her, and, and she was just, just a wonderful person. I've heard so many really cool things about her, but she's just an icon. You know, she just, you know, from Star Trek and all these other things, she's just, I, you know, I, I've been hearing about her since I was quite young. And, and when I heard, you know, she's not in, she's not one of the ones I met, unfortunately, but she always just seemed so cool. Yeah. She's a warm, wonderful human being. And, you know, we would exchange Christmas cards every year and uh, really, so, really sad to lose her. So you got Babylon 5, but then I also noticed that you go, you, you've got heroics, you've got uh, comics, you've got superheroes, you've got space. And you have a Twilight Zone episode. How did she, <laughs> horror? <laughs> Tell me how the well, horror crept in. Well, I don't think of it as horror, but um, I think of it as just more of a, I don't know if you'd call it, I mean, supernatural isn't even quite right, but it's, it's surrealism. It's, it's their little morality plays. and, and so, Irony. But, uh, well, again, it happened because of Joe Straczynski. Joe was the producer, and because of my you know, connection and my history with him, I had the opportunity on that particular show to pitch ideas. You had to come in and pitch ideas. And it was very tough, very tough me, to try to get. To tell get us about the, a pitch session, you know, so that, so that these future would-be screenwriters know how a pitch session goes. What happens? Well, I didn't have to do a traditional pitch session. I was able to, because of where I lived and because everyone was so remote and spread out, and I lived way up in the mountains, um, I was able to just write up paragraphs and, or a page or whatever. And, and, and because of my relationship with Joe, I was able to do that as well. Technically, if it's a Writers Guild show and you're a member of the Writers Guild, you're not supposed to do that. But, you know, when you're spread around and there's a lot of distance. And, and at the time, we didn't have things like Zoom or other easy ways to, to video connect. So um, I wrote up my pitches and submitted them to him. I, I have certainly done pitch meetings where you – you arrive and you think about what you're going to wear ahead of time and you think you work through how you're going to pitch ahead of time and then you sit down and it all goes to hell. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's a bit of a joke, but you know, it just, it depends on who you're pitching to. I, I think that, Oh, I, I will tell you bar none. The toughest pitch session I have ever had in my life was to Brandon Braga on Star Trek. Okay. And I went in there with a number of ideas and, you know, uh, this was for Voyager. I was pitching for Voyager. And, and so I'm, I'm pitching stuff. And, and he is just a stone face in this meeting, an absolute stone face, you know, no reaction. He's not given anything. You know, you could be pitching to a wall. <laughs> I mean, he was tough. And so I, I, I kept going and I, I pitched one idea. And, and he kind of reacted a little bit to it. And he said, well, what if we took it in this direction and we did this with it, blah, blah, blah. And I thought about it and I said, I said, well, isn't that an episode that you wrote already? And I, I mentioned the episode to him and he went, oh, yeah, <laughs> I did write that. And, but I think that kind of cracked his 
wall a little mm -hmm. bit because sure. I knew his work. I knew the work yeah. well enough that I recognized the idea and I recognized that it was his work. So I had done my, you know, I had my background. I knew what I was talking about. And so it got a little bit better after that. And I, we actually got to the point where um, I pitched something that he said he would take back to the rest of the team. And unfortunately, it didn't get past the, the next step, which was for him to sell it, the idea to the rest of the team. Um, Laura, here's another weird thing that can happen in pitching, because at the same time, someone who was a friend of Roddenberry pitched a very, very similar idea to him. <laughs> and, and that got in first. Hmm. And so my idea got shelved. But that was, you know, a pitch session, you, you, you've really just got to be on your feet. You've got to read the room, the people you're dealing with. You know, you've got to be really good at body language. You've got to be good at selling yourself without being, you know, arrogant or overselling or something like that. But you've got to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. You have to Do be really prepared. You have to be really prepared because I think one of the very first pitch meetings I ever did back in the late 70s, this friend and I went in, and we were not ready. We were, for, for whatever, I forget what we were pitching on. It was so long ago. We were just not ready, and, and we were so flat-footed, and we were so bad that when we walked out of there, I said, I am, that is never going to happen again. <laughs> never, I am never going into a meeting that unprepared ever again. So, you know, you do your homework. You know what you're talking about. You have your ideas in your head. You learn how to pitch just enough but not too much in other words you don't want to pitch them every single line or you know every single tiny beat you want to have your major beats and 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 know what it is that's going to hook their interest and and also be able to prove to them that you know what the story is if they do want to dig in deeper to it so how does it work so it's not really you're not just telling them a synopsis you're telling them how if you were going to pitch your your episode to me the grail what would you say Oh, I'd have to sit and think about that. I mean, I, you know, off the top of my head, God knows what I would say. But you okay. know, I was, since I was also working off of, of Joe's idea, you know, it, it's kind right. of different. Right. But, um, right. You know, you, you, you want to try to have a good catchy line. But I'd have to think about it. That's what I'm talking about, preparation. Okay. You know, it's not just something you want to do off the top of your head. But you, you probably heard people talking about elevator pitches. Yep. You know, and that's where you think about, oh, oh God, if you were in the, the elevator with uh, – Steven Spielberg, what could you pitch him <laughs> you know, in the elevator? So it, it is kind of like that. You want to know what, what a strong, interesting hook is and, and who your characters are, what your story is really about. You don't have to necessarily talk about it. And what I say really about, it's like you have the story and you have the plot, but you also have what it's really about at its heart. You know, like some theme. people might say that. Some people might call that the theme, if you want to call it that, you know, but but it needs to be about something underneath all of the plot, you know, and behind all of the characters, whether, whether it's something as simple as good guy wins in the end or, you know, love yeah. wins out or good of triumphs over evil. I mean, it could be something simplistic, but hopefully it's something maybe a little bit more complex or nuanced than that. Yeah. Zombies are just disenfranchised people with, you know, special dietary needs. <laughs> Yes, yes, they're very kind. So, um, so one of the other ones I noticed that you have been um, were really involved in is the um, animated series Gem, which uh, so and I think you told me that, that you 
you wrote 16 episodes, but you also did the framework. Is that what you said? How does so that I'll, Yeah, I'll back, I'll back up a little bit on that because um, another thing that's important for people who want to break in at some point, if you're talking about television or film, is you're going to need an agent. I mean, an, an agent's pretty critical. And there, there are as many different ways to get agents as there are stories about how people got agents, but, but really it gets down to somehow, some way, an agent has to become aware that you exist, an agent has to read your material, an agent has to like your material, and an agent has to decide that you're worth taking on as a client. And, and there's lots and lots of different factors at all of those steps. But when I was uh, first starting out and I had just started writing some, some comic stuff and some animation stuff, I wrote, I wrote a big, epic, sweeping fantasy screenplay. It was a way of, I had been studying screenplay writing, so I wrote this big, big epic. And I just sent it out to anybody that would read it, which was a bit easier at the time. It's a lot harder now to do something like that because people are going to be a lot more careful and leery and, you know, it's harder to get past the gatekeepers. But at any rate, I just sent it out to anybody that would read it. And this one producer really liked it and recommended me to an agent. And so that was how I got my first agent because the agent, agent read it and was impressed with it. Now, it never sold for a number of reasons, but it, it was a really good way to get in the door. So and basically, then, you, you had a, a movie script already written, a screenplay, as it were, and you just shopped was, it out and tried to find somebody to give it to an agent? You didn't go directly to agents saying, represent me? I mean, for novels, that's kind of what you got to do. You got to go find the agent that suits you and then go to the agent directly. So Ideally, I would say you want to do both. I mean, I, I just sent the script to anybody that would read it. You know, if, if agents would read it, if producers would read it, if directors would read it, I didn't care. Just, I just kept pushing it out there to anybody that would read it. And, and that just happened to be my trajectory. Now, also on the Writers Guild site is a list of agents. And most of those agents will indicate whether they're willing to read material from new people or not. And like I say, it's gotten a lot tougher these days. So you, you probably should start by looking for agents that would be at least willing to read the material. When but see, I, I, would, I mean, whether you like your Twitter or not, I occasionally see that go by of like, hey, it's script o'clock on Twitter. So is that something that you'd recommend people try? Or what, I don't know what you mean by that. Oh, like they have things like, okay, we're going to share, we're going to do, you know, look, read each other's, you know, the screenplay bits or, you know, accepting temporarily during these hours, they will hear your pitch and that sort oh, yeah, of thing. I, so pitching sure. online like that yeah do anything i mean if you're trying to break in you've just got to try to get your foot in the door pretty much any way you can you know and how i did it is going, was a lot different than people probably having to do it today especially today with covid19 which is just adds a whole another layer of complexity to the situation but yeah i mean but anyway i'm going to get back let's see i've gotten off stream so i got an agent and through the agent i got animation work well, I got animation work myself, but then my agent also then got me work on G.I. Joe. And because of the work on, on the G.I. Joe series that I did, Sunbow Productions um, became, really loved my work. And when they got the deal with Hasbro to create Gem and the Holograms, they came to me to develop the series, the animation series. And that, so that's how that happened. So it was a combination of, you know, my agent got me in with 
this one show and with these, some of our productions, we're doing all of these 65 half-hour series, you know, for Hasbro. And, uh, and that led into doing GEM. And I did do all the development work on GEM. So what, they did, what does the development work mean? Okay, Hasbro had uh, dolls, prototypes, because it was a doll, a line of dolls. They had a couple of, of basic um, story elements. There was uh, the, the lead character who had a secret identity, and then she had this holographic computer, and she wore these earrings so that she could change her appearance. And she had a band, and the band was named the Holograms. She had a sister. They knew that one of the dolls was going to be a sister. They had a boyfriend, a doll that was going to be a boyfriend. And then they had the bad girl group, the Misfits, and that was another set of dolls. And they knew what I was able to finally get some pictures of the prototypes, so I had a sense of what they looked like. They kept changing their minds about who was playing what musical instrument, so like, that drove me crazy for a while because I kept trying to figure that out. So they gave me those basic elements, and then I had to go off and create everything else, all who the characters were, their full names, their backgrounds, their relationships, you know, the whole setup of the show. Uh, I created another villain, a, a See, you know, musical it, it executive sounds, villain. And so, and so of, basically... I, so my understanding, and just to get this in my head right, you set up and you're drawing all the characters and doing character sketches before you read it, write a single word of conversation. Who, me? Yeah, yeah, for, for this, like, for I'm this not sketching thing. anything, no. <laughs> no, 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 not sketching it, right. I, I'm talking, I, had, yeah. I, had pol- I had Polaroids of the, the doll prototypes. I'm sorry, sketching was the wrong word then. I was just thinking, so you had to sit and write about each of the characters. You didn't jump right into plot and events and things. You actually stopped and did all your character development first? Well, yeah, I, I wrote the, a Bible, and a Bible, of course, is, is um, industry terminology for a document that says... Here's what, the, here's what the concept of the show is. Here are the characters, and here's the bios on the characters. Here's the relationships of the characters, and then any other elements that are pertinent to, to the show and how it works. And in this case, I had to come up with information about talking about the holographic computer and how it worked and what kind of relationship that was. And, and I, like I said, I created new characters to go along created the, the whole concept of Starlight Music and the Starlight Girls who were foster girls and, and all of this stuff I created. And um, it was part of the whole mix because I knew we were going to be doing 65 half hours. This, this was a standard syndication run of animation at the time. And so I wanted to make sure we had lots and lots of characters to work with. And I went a bit overboard, made too many, but <laughs> nonetheless, we had plenty of characters to work with. And then the weird thing about Gem is that it, it started life as... A, seg- a set of 15 segments of about six minutes each because they were packaging it in the middle of a half hour. The first, the first part of the half hour was a boy action show, and then in the middle they were sandwiching Jim, and then the third thing in the half hour was another boy action show. And so I was getting all this wonderful schizophrenic direction. It has to be for girls, and there has to be you know, romance and glamour and, and, and music, but... It's got to have really hard action because we don't want the boys to change the channel. And they were, they were terrified that's what would happen. The boys would change the channel. And so, and so every one of those little 15-minute segments ended on these really hard cliffhanger endings. <laughs> you know, and then there was all this action in there that there might, might not have been, which suited me because I was very much an, an action-adventure writer. But then those, 
they decided to go to full series and those segments, those 15 minute segments, then it became the first five half hours. So they got, they got repackaged into the five half hours. So it was, it was a little bit weird and, and probably why the first, those first five half hours might feel a bit odd <laughs> because, because of the way they were designed, they weren't actually designed as half hours. So um, it, it gave it a kind of a, of an interesting structure, let us say, more like a mini-series structure in a way. So, and so I, did write, uh, I did write 22 of the 65, and I um, did, some, did all the development, like they would add more characters as the show went on. They'd, Hasbro would add more dolls to the toy line, and so I would have more characters that I got, get to create their bios and their relationships and add them to the mix, like the Stingers. They brought in another musical group, and I knew they couldn't be they couldn't be similar at all to the misfits. They had to have some different hook to them. So I had to think about how those characters would work and, and so on. So, so yeah, develop, development work is just coming up with all of that good story stuff that then, and then that Bible goes to the other writers. And that, now the other writers look at all of that material and say, what stories can I pitch? So that's the basis of what they can pitch on. So that's really cool. So it starts with the Bible and then it goes to a bunch of pitches. I'm thinking in terms of episodically, is it important that if you're writing for an episode that they can happen in any order or is there a larger arc that you have to keep in mind or? Well, that it's interesting you should say that because um, that has changed tremendously. And I was just writing about that quite recently. Uh, I just wrote an article for the comics journal to be coming out. I'm not sure when, but, and I was looking at that and the fact that back when I was doing those animation, even though we had 65 half hours to play with, <clears throat> The, the syndicators hated having continued shows because they didn't want to be stuck having to run them in any particular order. So their preference was for complete standalone kind of shows. And of course, we wanted to do some two-parters. At G.I. Joe, we did, I did some two-parters and you could kind of get away with that, but, but they didn't like it because they just, they would strip what they call stripping the shows, meaning they would run them for in the afternoon, like every afternoon, five days a week. And so they didn't want to have to worry about the sequence of those things. But now, now you've got all of these shows that are on, on streaming networks and all of the different new ways that, that these shows can get out there. And it's, you, you almost have to do continuity. I mean, it, now I think people would think you were crazy if you didn't have some kind of really great continuity to the shows that you're putting out. Maybe not as much in animation, but, but when you have a, a streaming place that you can go to and the episodes are all just sitting there waiting for you and and they're you can sit down and binge them or whatever you know continuity becomes the hook it becomes what really pulls people in and and so i i just love that we have arrived where we are and you can now do that you can now think about that kind of continuity and and build your characters over time and, and know that people are going to see them in the right sequence to me that's just heaven so in terms of, it sounds like it's just day and night between that and then when you wanted to sit down and write a whole feature, like a whole two-hour animated movie or a whole two-hour silver screen movie. Different approach? Yeah, I, most like approach? I said, I've, I've only really written one screenplay uh, that, that's been produced. Um, you know, so most of my emphasis okay, tell, has been... tell us the secret. How many, how many total have you written? Not that it has produced, but... Have you bit more movies that just never got produced or? Actually, no. I, I wrote that one epic fantasy that, that I used to get the agent and, and it got me a lot of great attention, but it wasn't, it was 
too far out there at the time. <laughs> Fantasy wasn't really that much of a thing at the time I was pitching it. So it was like, and, and of course, we didn't have the kind of special effects that we have now in the script I wrote. You could do it now. I should dig it out and do something with it. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is obviously the tone. Yeah. Yeah. But no, um, so here's the screenplay that happened, happened again because of networking. It happened because of a woman that I got to know. And this woman became a story editor for a, a man named Sandy Howard who made a lot of really super low budget movies, little real B-level and below <laughs> uh-huh. oh type of movies, you know, horror movies and, and whatever kind of movies. The, the only movie he did, I think, of any particular note was A Man Called Horse. Oh, yeah. I loved that. Yeah, I, that was like his like one outlier quality what? piece of work. But everything else was pretty much schlock. But at any rate, he, he and this other guy had written a, an outline. or a, No, they had a script. Yeah, they actually had a script. But they weren't happy with it. And so they wanted a different approach to it. And, and because of this woman that I knew, and I, I had been in pretty much constant communication with her, and we'd, we had talked back and forth a lot about various possibilities. So they let me look at the script, and I came in and pitched a whole new angle on it. And I got hired on the basis of that angle. I also got hired on the basis of stupidly agreeing to write them a script for the price of a polish. No, no. (laughs) Because I was young and stupid and I didn't know any better. And my agent just reamed me out when he (laughs) found out what I did. When I I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. You know, Uh, he reamed me out because you never, ever, ever talk money or deal. You pitch and then you're agent takes care of the rest of it. So anyway, I was young and, stupid. young and stupid. I didn't know any better, but that was how I ended up uh, writing that script. So it again emphasizes the importance of networking, getting to know people, making personal connections, and, and they have to be genuine. I think this is an important thing to say. You know, pe- people will know if you're just trying to attach themselves, if you're trying to attach yourself like a remora, you know, <laughs> to the side of somebody just because you think you might get something out of it. They're going to know that. It has to be a genuine two-way street kind of a thing. And, and um, there, you know, there are people obviously that might, might mentor you, and that would be great. But I don't know how else to put it. It takes a lot of people <laughs> skill. You have to be, be, have a certain amount of people skill to do that. So do you have to be in, do you have to be in, in L.A. to do this networking? No, well, I would, at one time I would have said yes. Absolutely, yes, but, but things have changed. Right. And I think that's probably not as true anymore as it was. I, I think it's still somewhat true, but, but um, it also, boy, I mean, Netflix and other places are all over, they're all over the place, and there's a lot of production that takes place in, in Canada, and now with COVID-19, everybody locked down. You know, I think it probably has to be approached more virtually than well, these days, too, I would think that Comic-Con, which actually used to be a real comic book convention and not a movie theater thing, <laughs> yeah. a really good place to network, too, if you want to um, talk movies, because it's become all, all, all movie stars all the time. Yeah, so. but those aren't the people that, yeah, they're, they're not, not the, the people, people you need. You, you know, right. you need the people that can actually hire you. I, I cuddled with Leah McIntyre on our way down to coffee every morning at Dragon Con. However, I don't think that was going to get me to write for Spartacus. 
<laughs> just saying. I mean, uh, now, I mean, now you can't. Well, let me give you another example. When I was first learning script writing, I went to this really great place in, in Hollywood, in fact, literally in Hollywood. Uh, it was called the Sherman, Sherwood Oaks Experimental College. And this, this really cool guy started this, this sort of backdoor, not accredited kind of schooling. But what he would do is he would bring in the actual working professionals, the working producers, the working writers, the working directors, and have them teach courses. Yeah. And it was up on the second floor above a Hollywood storefront, you know, and, and, and they were great because it was just firsthand stuff. And it was like practical stuff. It wasn't theory. It wasn't academia. It was people actually doing it. And so in one of these um, courses I was going to, David Soul appeared as a guest. And David yeah. Soul was really big because, at the time because of Starsky and Hutch. And I had written a Starsky and Hutch spec script. A ah. And so he agreed to read it. You know, so I, I just went up and asked him to be willing to read it, and he agreed to read it, and he showed it to the story editor, and it went nowhere. But ah. the point is, <laughs> you do have to be ready and willing to, to jump at opportunities when they present themselves. And that, that's probably one of the single most important things. So, And as it, anyone who wants to work in TV is going to have to write a bunch of spec scripts anyway. Sure. Um, depending, so, depending on what you want to work in, you know, if you want to work in the in the comedies, then you're going to have to write a bunch of very funny comic scripts, showing com comedic scripts, showing that you understand the format and that you can write that stuff. And if you want to write, you know, one-hour action adventures, then you better write some of those and and show that you know what you're talking about. And I, I just want to throw it in there because something. Can, can I take one second? like say something because we haven't used the term up before. So just want to make it clear to everybody that a spec script is a move, something written on speculation. There's no deal. There's no sale. You do it on your own time and you write like a start skin hutch episode is your own spec script. Correct. Do I have that right? Correct. Yeah. And I just, I wrote it because I was watching the show. I liked the show and yeah. I needed, I needed to have something you know, something to hand out for people to read. And so I, I, I had an idea, so I sat down and I wrote it. And um, if, you're, if you're going to a class and you know that David Soul is going to be coming to talk to you next month, do you think it's a good idea to sit down and write a Slusky and Hutch script now so that you have something to give him then? Sure, why not? I mean... I, I operate, I, I'm going to give you the three basic principles on which I have operated my entire career. Give us. One, is, one is, you never know unless you try. Yep. Number two is, the worst they can do is say no. Yep. And number three is, life is too short to work with assholes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really important. <laughs> you know assholes before you've worked with them. Well, you, you find out. I, I worked with one that was a an absolute supreme asshole. And um, it was... Can I quote you with those on social media? Because that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Please do. Yes. Uh, Fred Silverman, if you heard of him, he was at various times, he was the head of development of ABC, NBC, and CBS. Yeah. yeah. So he was a big name. And then as he was coming, kind of coming down in this trajectory, he ended up at, at Hanna-Barbera. I got hired, oh, this is a great story. I got hired to, to come in and develop an animation series at Hanna-Barbera. My agent set up the deal. And it was with uh, Fred Silverman was, was at the head of it. 
And so I show up and, and so for the first meeting, and there's a big conference room, big long table, you know, Fred's over and sitting at one end of it. There's all the one development executive I knew sitting there, and then all these other people, I just had no idea who they were, you know, just all kinds of different executives or whatevers. And, and this <coughs> nice woman across, sat across from me. So Freddie Silverman goes on about what he wants out of this show, and, you know, he's got all these really typical, stereotypical ideas and blah, blah, blah. And then the meeting ends, <clears throat> and we all stand up, and this development executive turns to me and this other woman and says, okay, come on, I'll show you where your office is down the hall. And we're like, what? <laughs> they had hired both of us, different agents, didn't tell us this at all. They had hired us to write this together, develop this together. <laughs> wow. So we go, down, we go down the hall, we sit in this room and we look at each other and we go, okay, let's get acquainted. And fortunately, she was wonderful and we ended up getting along great and we had a wonderful time developing this idea and, and we wrote it all up. We go into our next meeting with, with Fred Silverman and Misty was her name and we joked, we had Misty and Christy. <laughs> and she starts, um, you know, pitching it and talking about her ideas for it and there's this little pause and he just goes, that's shit. Uh, <laughs> and I was at that point Knowing Misty and what a sweet woman she was, at that point, I was going to punch him out. If he, <laughs> he were like, hey, if he had done that to me, if he was going to like give me shit, I would, I was just furious. I mean, maybe he could tell because he kind of just dropped it at that and made us go off. Said, said, go off and redo it. And I went, we went back down, and I fulfilled what I had to do with my contract. But I called my agent and I said, I'm not working with this guy. I don't, I don't care. I am not doing, I am not taking any of this crap from this guy. I'm not doing this. <laughs> and I fulfilled what I had to do and I walked out. Yeah, Misty hung on a little bit longer, I think, but um, that, was when I, that was when I developed, yeah. I said to myself, no, I'm not, I'm not putting up with that. <laughs> Go you. Good for you. Good for you. All right, we're going to put links to uh, these episodes and some of the things that we've been talking about on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we love email. Christy, if we come back and somebody has a question for you, would you mind answering it later? Uh, if I can find some time to do that, I will. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to plug what I'm currently doing, which is uh, I have yes. a book out I have a book out there that's been out there for a number of years called Writing for Animation, Comics, and Games. It's very much a nuts and bolts kind of a craft book on things that you need to know to write for the, the different three media. And um, I have a copy. In. Yep. I'm now writing the, the second edition revised dated, you know, lots of new material, especially in the games parts. Games, a lot of things have happened in games. But um, so I've been back going back over and, and updating and revising everything. So hopefully that'll be out next year. We would love to have you back to talk more about game writing, if you're willing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's, there's a lot to say about game writing. <laughs> yes. We've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey Schween and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Made Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with a Morning Person, both by Michael Engbert. You can hear more from Michael Lindberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is always Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag and t-shirts. And hey, thanks for listening. <laughs>